60. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 18. I've been studying in the book of Nehemiah, and we will be ministering from there eventually this morning. But first, I want to go here in Isaiah, and the title of this message today is Builders of the Walls. Builders of the Walls. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 18 is a promise to Israel and really even us as the church, but it was given to Israel concerning what God would do even among them as he comes to reign, even among them from their land one day very soon. He says, violence shall no more be heard of in your land. Wasting nor destruction within your borders, but you shall call the walls salvation and your gates praise. That's a promise Israel has, at least all of Israel that accepts Christ. And they will be in a land just like we will where there is no more violence. The word violence means wrong and unjust gain. There will be no more wrong there. Remember the prophet Isaiah also was the prophet who prophesied and said in Isaiah 65 and 17 that God's going to make a new earth and new heavens and that you won't remember the former. I want you to think about that. God says you're not going to remember the former nor will it even come into your mind. You will never remember this old earth. God said it. You will never even have one memory of this old earth. And the reason is because at the cross, Jesus became the very ending of all the old creation. He not only ended it, He became the end of all the old creation. You were a part of the old creation until you were born again and made a new creation in Christ. You were a part of the old, and all that perish as still being a part of the old will burn in a lake of fire forever. For that lake of fire is reserved really for the devils. It was created for the devils and and the demons and all that of that nature. But because Isaiah also prophesied and let us know that hell has enlarged itself because men who God did not desire to go there are going there because they refuse to become a part of the new creation in Christ Jesus. So at the cross, Jesus literally became, and he says, I am the beginning and I am the ending. He says it twice and more than twice in the book of Revelation. But he became the end of all the old creation. It died in him. It was put away in him. You, as a part of the old creation, you and I, as Ephesians tells us, that were the darkness we were put away and gotten rid of. And God didn't choose to use anything from the old creation to have anything to do with you as the new creation. It is All gone. Isn't there a scripture that says that? All things have passed away. And all things now have become new. 
So there is the promise of the new creation, the new heaven, the new earth, and all the people that will be on that earth eventually will be nothing but people who are new creations in Christ Jesus. So you and I as the church today, before Israel ever reaches the promise of experience to them, we have this going on within us now. Because our bodies, the Bible says, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives within us now. And we can live in a place being in Christ Jesus, meaning through faith in His sacrifice, where there's no more violence. That means wrong. See, as you walk in Christ, there's nothing wrong about that. There's nothing unjust about you walking and living in Christ. And as you and I go through the cross for everything from our Lord, it's the only place that God sees gain not being unjust but just. I'm after the just gain, not the unjust gain. And everything that's gained in my life has to come through the cross for God to see it being just. Every, everything, every other avenue through which I might be calling on God, God, I, I, I did this, God, don't I deserve it? God, at least I went to church. God, at least I read my Bible. God, I did, I, I, I. Listen, all the I comments are reserved for the great white throne where they'll say, didn't I, didn't I do this, didn't I do that? Uh, the great white throne judgments uh, where all the didn't I's are going to show up. Uh, and the judgment seat of Christ is where all the thank God that you did it all are going to show up. Uh, hallelujah. So this place, it's promised the Jews coming and will it get to experience that as well? But right now we get to experience this to some degree within our hearts because the promise is that violence, wrong, and unjust gain shall no, no more even be heard of in your land, wasting nor destruction within your borders. But you shall call the walls salvation and your gates praise. Amen. And I'm beginning here because the walls of Jerusalem that we're going to get into in a minute that, uh, that we're going to read about in the book of Nehemiah, the walls that God has surrounded you with and had surrounded his people in that day with walls around Jerusalem were he called walls of salvation. But they were torn down. And the gates always represent a place of authority. And when you have the proper walls and the proper gate, meaning the proper object of faith, the, the proper object of faith that brings salvation through the, the only authority that can do that, which is the, the gospel and the preaching of the cross, then your life's going to be forever different. Amen. And we're a part of this building process. Now, concerning this word violence... In this 18th verse of Isaiah 60, I want us to look at another verse in Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 16 where the devil is being revealed here. He, he's revealed to us in Ezekiel and Isaiah. The devil, I said the devil, 
is being revealed here. And you don't hear me talking too much about the devil because he ain't worthy of my voice. You know it's true. I mean, those of you who listen to me teach and preach, you don't hear me talking about the devil too much because he ain't worthy of my voice. He ain't worthy for me to speak of, and I sure don't speak to him. Not with my lips, because it is of no value. I said it is of no value. The speaking that I do to the devil is my yielded heart to Calvary's cross. That speaks everything that he needs to hear from me. It makes him flee. The Bible says it makes him flee. You can shout the devil down with your lips and he'll laugh at you while he destroys you, shouting him down. You can talk about the blood to him. You can say whatever you want. It's the yielded heart to the sacrifice of Christ that lets him know where he doesn't stand with you. I've watched many Christians defeated and just come to places of great destruction while they're telling the devil what he's not going to do. He's doing it. He can't touch the heart that's yielded to what crushed his head. But in Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 16, this word violence comes up again and it is concerning the devil. Look at what the Bible here says, Ezekiel 28 and 16. By the multitude of your merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence. Now, let's talk about this for a minute because the devil here being described and before he became Satan, the great adversary of God, he was Lucifer. He was the most highly decorated angel and he was more than likely in charge of all the angelic host and the praise and the worship because the Bible in other places tells us that the instruments of worship and beauty was in him. He was the most beautiful creation among the angels that God had ever created. And he had this high standing. But because of all his merchandise, I hope the church can hear me today, and they don't get all their blessings mixed up with the blesser. Because of all his merchandise and all that God had made him and, and all that God had given him and all that God had given him to do, the Bible here says that by the multitude of your merchandise, they have filled the midst of you with violence. Now that word again means wrong and unjust gain. And what happened to the devil, let's finish this, and you have sinned. Therefore I will cast you <clears throat> as profane out of the mountain of God. And I will destroy you, O covering cherub. See, that's a, quite a statement right there, the cherub that covers. He had, he had maybe the most important place among all angelic beings at one time. But God said, I'm going to destroy. I'm going to destroy you, O covering cherub from the midst of the stones of fire. And I'm not here to teach on all that, and there's a lot to know about all that. 
But what I'm bringing out this morning is this word violence and how it means wrong and unjust gain. And when the devil approached Eve, Adam and Eve actually in the garden and tempted her and caused her to sin, that same, that same thing was found in her that was found in the devil. Wrong and unjust gain. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was an unjust way of gain. Amen. I want you to, I, you never heard that, I'm sure some of you. But the tree of the knowledge and evil had been forbidden by God for them to partake of. So it was unjust for them to do so. And they were tempted by the evil one who was full of violence, full of wrong, the father of lies. The one who is unjust in every word he speaks and every action he carries out. So that, that's all he can offer. And when he pointed Eve to the tree and tempted her and she began to see from listening to his voice. See, you're seeing based on who you're listening to. And she began to see that tree in a way that she shouldn't have been looking at it because she was listening to the devil. And it became a way of unjust gain. And what she gained was the last thing she would have ever wanted. To be cut off from God just like the devil had been. And you might ask yourself, well, why was the devil never given another chance? But people are. Because the devil wasn't created in God's image. You are. He created you in His image. Amen. That's why when we lost that image, He sent the only one who carries the brightness of that image so that we could look upon Him, Christ Jesus, and what He would carry out on the cross. And that wrong, not that just we did, but that we were. All the unjust avenues of gaining the world, we were cut off from that. And now, for us to live is the one who died and gained us all things with God. So, I wanted to bring that out concerning this word violence to begin with because... It's not just violence like something erupting out in this. Well, what's all that violence out there? No, violence in God's eyes is anything that's wrong. What's wrong in God's eyes? Anything that's not touching Calvary. Talking about spiritually this morning. Anything that's not touching the cross is wrong spiritually in God's eyes because it's some way of unjust gain. The cross is God's only just way of gain. So let's turn to the book of Nehemiah this morning because the walls of salvation and the gates of praise God is building among the church. The history and the place in history of 
where Nehemiah is found, Nehemiah and Ezra, is a place where God had sent Israel into captivity, told Abraham what some 400 years prior that he was going to do this, if I'm not mistaken, and because of their sin against him. So he sends his people into captivity in Babylon and tells them before they go, don't fight against it. I'm sending you there. To be captive. I'm sending you there. Go there, build houses, marry wives and husbands, and have families. Don't fight against it. I'm sending you there. And false prophets were prophesying opposite of that. False prophets were always among the people, lying to the people of God. And I'm sure there were people in that day that fought against that and probably lost their lives because God said, I'm the one sending you into captivity. They're not just coming to take you into captivity, which they did. He said, I'm sending you into captivity. Amen. And the end of this time period is here among us in this period of history with Nehemiah and and let's read this, and I don't know how far we'll get today, and I do hope that you'd go home and read this, understanding that, again, that this is a time where the 70 years are coming to an end, and it's time to start trying to get back to Israel, back to the homeland, the place where God has given Israel, the place where God says that he's put his name in that land. You can make no mistake about it. When the dust settles, there's going to be a man on the throne in Jerusalem and he's going to be the Lamb of God that was slain. <clears throat> Everything going on with Israel and, and all, that, all that portion of the earth over there is such a powerful thing that it's even erupting what's happening there all over the world. Because although Israel is dying one by one and going to hell, by the billions since the Lord came and offered himself as their king. He is their king. God's not going to send them another one. And although they're rejecting the Savior that came, he is still, they are still the Father's beloved people. You need not get caught up in any lies concerning Israel. And the promise stands as was given Abraham by God. Those that bless you, I'll bless. Those that curse you, I'll curse. Ain't nobody ever stuck a stick at Israel and not been touched back by God. You don't mess with them people. But you don't mess with Christians either. Because we're all the apple of God's eye. So this is a time period, and we're going to see this prophet Nehemiah. He's a man, and he gets word. I'm just going to give you a little spiel before we read through this. He, he gets word about those who have made it back already, a few that have made it back, and they send word to him the, uh, describing the state 
of Jerusalem, the state, the walls are in, the gates. And I'm, I'm, letting, I'm, I'm sharing this with you so when we read it, you'll have a better uh, view of this for those of you who may not have ever read this before. I hope, again, that you would go home. It's a wonderful, beautiful story of God restoring really anybody that belongs to Him back to the place they belong. Because all this points to Christ and what He would do for us at Calvary. Verse 1, Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. And uh, let me just say something. You know, I, I teach, so I have to stop uh, real often. Nehemiah here means Jehovah comforts. His name means Jehovah comforts. Now, the names of the people in the Old Testament, they had great meaning. Unlike today. But the, the, the Old Testament is the Word of God. And the men used were men of God. And their names were very special with great purpose. Nehemiah's name, let me say it again, means Jehovah comforts. And he was the son of Hahaliah. And his name, Nehemiah's daddy's name, means whom Jehovah enlightens. And when I'm reading this the other day, I'm thinking about, well, God had to enlighten somebody before he could comfort somebody. You see the process here. Nehemiah's daddy was the one who got enlightened. And Nehemiah comes along and he's the one through the working of God who's going to be able to comfort the people. It's a very powerful story, especially when you don't just read it and you dig into it. Hallelujah. And it came to pass in the month of Shizlu. How do you say that? I'm from Texas. I don't get any of these pronunciations right. And it came to pass in the month of Chislu, that the, ver the very month there definition means his confidence. So what's going on here? When Nehemiah starts to write the first verse, we find Jehovah comforts, Jehovah enlightens, and Jehovah brings confidence. And we, and we see that in the beginning of what this story, and we'll see it unfold as the story goes on. In the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani was one of my brothers, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now I have to stop right here and say this concerning where we are as the church today. Some 25 to 30 years ago in that time period, God began to usher the, the focus of what makes salvation what it is to us, the message of the cross. And it's what gives us the walls of salvation, the gates of praise. It's the message of the cross. It, it brings into our hearts the salvation of God that saves to the uttermost. And God, we call it a hedge, and God calls it that too, but it's also a wall. 
And it was erected on Calvary's hill. And it was presented to us to come inside those walls of salvation when we were born again. And when what you do when you're born again is you begin to praise the Lord because of his authority over you now. Remember, gates in Jerusalem always were the place of authority. That's where they even had their court hearings, at the gate. That's, it was a place of authority. And again, when we were born again, it's because we believed in the truth of Christ and what he did at Calvary. We were saved. We came into God's kingdom, not to some literal Jerusalem on the earth, but we came into what will one day be known as the new Jerusalem. And the walls around that are the walls of salvation that the enemy cannot intrude into. And the gates are the gates of praise. Amen. When you got saved, you begin to praise the Lord. If you didn't, you ain't saved. When you got saved, you begin to praise the Lord and thank the Lord. Amen. You might not been the, become the most vocal and loudest shouter, but you begin to praise the Lord when he saved you, kept you from going to hell. When your horizon changed, you begin to praise God. And let me say it again. If you didn't, you need to get saved today, and you will begin to praise your Lord. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. So the church, God began to wake up the church he began to wake the church up with the thrust of the focus of the cross, the message of the cross, the gospel, and, and millions and millions all over the world now have heard this because God used Brother Swaggart in a worldwide ministry that he gave him for that purpose. And that purpose allowed the, the focus and the thrust of the gospel to go forth all over the world, and there's been a few here and there who grabbed a hold of that. And they're like Nehemiah. I'm, I'm sure others had heard what was going on back in Jerusalem, but it touched Nehemiah's heart and it had an effect on Nehemiah that broke his heart and he began to weep. And when God began to show you this truth and you got excited about it and he began to show you that he doesn't speak outside of this truth, he doesn't work outside of this truth, and when you accepted that, it, it, it because you did accept that and you knew that to be scripturally correct, then you automatically saw how few people were believing it. The walls of the church are tattered and beaten. And the gates that represent authority are allowing all sorts of voices to come in and corrupt and bring destruction now. Because you see, the walls that crumble always crumble from within, from what's due to what's going on within the walls. You say, no, 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 preacher. The enemy came in from the outside and destroyed the walls from the outside. Yeah, God let them do that because of what was going on on the inside. It's the same with Christianity. If we're destroyed, it's not by other people that are attacking us. We're, we're only destroyed from the inside. 
the walls of salvation and the gates of our God's praise, his authority, is they only crumble from the inside. How do I know that? Because I can't steal your faith. I can't take your faith away from you. But you can throw it down. You can fall from grace. Hmm. Nehemiah saw this. It broke his heart. And he says, let's read verse 4 again. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You remember when you begin to hear the message of the cross and and God began to show you that all the stuff the church is trusting in today, He won't honor it. He won't accept it. He won't move one time on it. He won't move one time on it. And it began to break your heart. That's why we have a church here. I said, that's why we have a church here. Because wherever man finds his heart broken over the things of God, not being as they should, it's because he is seeing a God with a broken heart over it himself. Verse 5 says, and he said, I beseech thee. Now let me say this. If you come back to the cross, you're coming back to prayer. Everybody who's got their faith in the sacrifice of Christ, they crying out to God. And the more you learn to trust in the cross, the more you're going to be a praying child of God. And the more you learn to trust in Christ and what he did at Calvary, and the more you pray, less and less of it's going to be for you. Less and less is going to be for you. Because see, the love of God and the focus of God is never... Going back this way. God saw the world in need. He said, I got a Savior I can give him. Well, he didn't stop it there. He gave his son. Verse 5, Nehemiah said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible. There's the word awesome. That's what the word terrible means, awesome. We were singing it this morning. Our God is awesome. You know what that means? If your God is awesome, that means that ribeye steak ain't. Man, that pizza was awesome. Not if God is. Don't put pizza on the same plate as God. And I said, and I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, that keeps covenant and mercy for them that love him. And observe his commandments. Did you see that? Same thing Jesus taught. Same thing Jesus taught. If you love me, you keep my commandments. Those that love me, keep my commandments. Those that don't love me, they're not keeping my commandments. You can say you love God all day long. But John 14, 21 through 24 is where that's located. Jesus didn't just say, they that love me keep my commandments. He turned it around. He said it twice, even the other way, so we'd grab a hold of it. Those that love me are keeping my commandments. 
if they're not keeping my commandments, it's because they don't love me. Love ain't about feelings. Love is about obedience. Love is not about feelings. Well, God, you know my heart. Yes, he sure does. He's going to use that against billions and billions at the great white throne judgment who all their life said, well, God knows my heart. Yes, he sure does. You need to get in the Bible and see what he sees about your heart. You're not going to like it. Verse 6, he's praying. Why is Nehemiah praying? Because he sees something that shouldn't be the way it is. Jerusalem, the people of God, the people of God in lack, the people of God with a broken down city, broken down walls, broken down gates. Anybody can just come in and just do anything. This last day's message is a wall building message and it is a gate protecting message. A a place where God's ministers of righteousness are building the walls of salvation as co-laborers with the Lord himself and they're guarding the gate. They're guarding the gates which are gates of praise. Verse 6, let thine ear now be attentive and thy eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant which I pray before you now. Day and night for the children of Israel thy servants and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against you. Both I and my father's house have sinned. It's not about God, forgive them for what they've done. God, forgive us for what we've done. Or that prayer ain't no good. It's still the blame game unless it's, Lord, forgive us all. Not only have I done a million things wrong, But I am wrong without Jesus and his sacrifice. We have dealt very corruptly against you. He's not talking about they have. He's talking about we have. See, a true move of God is very personal. And it's never really about others. It's about you. How many people sit in a church service all over the world today and they'll listen to messages and some places it'll reach a convicting place and they'll begin to look around the room and say, well, I'm glad she's here today. I'm glad she. I'm glad she's here. Now. This here is for you, honey. This here is for you and me and for every one of you. It's for all us. There's been lots of people begin to see the truth of Calvary and God's focus of the Lamb and God's focus of what should be and, and, and we, we've turned it into just, an, uh, uh, just a whip. It's wha Look at all of them messed up out there. wha We still messed up ourselves. We still messed up ourselves. 
How many times of us even knowing what builds the wall and keeps the gate locked secure do we still through our lustful flesh. Got to have my own two cents thrown in, my own way. I got to do this. I got to have this. I got to. Do we unlock the gate and let something in that shouldn't be in? Mm. We can preach all day long. We can tell the glad story all day long. But when the glad story is knocking on my heart in a time of temptation or trial or whatever it is, that right there is when it matters. That right there is when it matters. That's what right, right there is what's going to determine what's going on in me. Mm. It ain't about me getting up here and preaching every week. Telling everybody you got to have your faith in the cross. It's about when I'm out there and something happens to me, I don't like it. I got to lay down and live it. Hallelujah. Get up and under this truth. That's how Jesus rules over us. Any victory you experience in your life will be his victory over you once again. I need a breakthrough. I need out from under this. Let Jesus reign in your life. Quit looking for mystical and magical ways. How's God going to do this? I'm going to tell you this morning how he's going to do it. He's going to do it. You don't worry about how when he finds you at the cross, he'll do it. When you die, or not die, let me say it right. When you realize you are dead and quit trying to figure it all out and just let him do it. Let's watch what happens to Nehemiah. Verse 7 again. We've dealt very corruptly against you. And not we've not kept your commandments. Nor the statutes nor the judgments which you have commanded your servant Moses. Remember, Lord, I beseech thee, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. And there you have it. There, there's why they were scattered. There's why they were in captivity, because they transgressed and weren't willing to repent when God showed up to get them to repent. They said, I don't think so. Have we ever been there? Involved in some fleshly, lustful activity that seems like it's got a hold of us so tight it's got chain, it's like fishing hooks, it's in us and it's pulling us. And we're saying, But I know the cross, I know the cross. It's like Pastor Patrick said it this morning, you can know it right here, but till it gets in here, the, this ain't the surrender in place, this is the surrender in place, the heart that's the mind can only yield to theology. The heart has to say, I believe it. I believe it. Doesn't matter how I look. Doesn't matter what they think about me. Doesn't matter what they say. I remember 1994. I came home that day. June of 1994, I came home that day. All that beautiful blonde hair. Three earrings. Woo, hanging out, dangling. Tattoo, sometimes makeup on my eyes. I had a rabbit fur coat. Boy, I was something. Something of this world. I came home. 
I didn't know nothing except Jesus loved me and died for me. I came home and I went and got a Bible, dug it up from somewhere. Everybody got a Bible laid up, hidden somewhere back there. I put that Bible on that coffee table. And me even looking like I looked at that time, I told Robin, I said, from now on, that's it right there. That's it right there. And I didn't know nothing about it. And one of my free, my one of my best friends came over a couple days later and said, Come on, man, they're having a keg party in Texarkana. Man, before the Lord got a hold of me on that day on the job, I'd have grabbed my key, said, I'll see you later to her. And been home day, two days, however long it took me to get over my whatever. And my friend looked at me and said, Come on, man, get your keys. I said, I ain't going with you. What you mean you ain't going with me? Come on, man. I said, I ain't going with you. And I put my hand out there and said, I, man, I, I can't go with you. I said, I don't, I don't know everything, but I know what I need in this, in this right here. I told my wife, I told him. I sold him the first dope he ever bought. My friend said, I said, I don't know much, but I know it's in here. My answer's in here. I've been in there ever since. I was in there this morning. I was in there last night. I was in here yesterday morning. I was in here last night. Don't you know enough? I'll never know enough. It's right here. It's in this book we call the Bible. It is God's Word, and God's Word is God. He sold us that. Was I going somewhere with that? Or was that the whole story? Mm. Verse 9, but if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out into the uttermost part of heaven, it's going on right now again for 2,000 years. Yet will I gather them from there and will bring them unto the place that I've chosen to set my name there. I want you to see that. The place that I've chosen to set my name there. God's name will always be there. You and I will reign with our Savior there for a thousand years. Hmm. Verse 10, now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. And he's talking about when he brought them out of Egypt. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who desire to fear your name. Do you have a desire to fear the Lord? Do you have a desire to fear? I'm not talking about being scared of God. I'm talking about the way fear is defined in the Bible. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is a strong confidence. The fear of the Lord is uh, our departure. The Bible says our escape from the snares of death. 
And if you do a study on the fear of the Lord, you'll find out that all the blessings for God's people are inside that experience of the fear of the Lord. And the reason so is because God has promised in Psalms 25 and 14, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. And He shows them His covenant. If you're not seeing the covenant, you can't have what it provides. And you can't see the covenant unless you're fearing the Lord. Wouldn't that make me want to pray what Nehemiah prayed? Teach me to fear you, Lord. Really, it's a prayer that says, Teach me to make you the most valuable thing ever to me. More valuable than my spouse. More valuable than my children. More valuable than all the gold and silver. Teach me to fear you. That's what he's praying, is it not? Mm. Now these, verse 10, are your servants and your people whom you've redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants, plural, who desire to fear your name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servants this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man for I was the king's cupbearer. Now this Nehemiah, he was in a part of Israel and he was in captivity and he was kind of like Joseph. He had favor among, he listened to God. God said, don't fight against it. Don't kick against it. Go there. I'm the one sending you into captivity. If God's sending you somewhere, don't fight against it. Because if you do, you're fighting against God. So Nehemiah obviously was like Joseph in a different scenario. Joseph, typifying Christ, was sold into slavery and went there and was in prison more than once and ended up ruling right under the Pharaoh of all Egypt. He had the favor of the Lord on his life. You do too, child of God. You do too, child of God. How do I know? Psalms 41.11 says, We know that you have favored us because you've not allowed the enemy to triumph over us. At the cross, we see that. The enemy was not allowed to triumph over us. And because we've accepted that triumph of Christ, we are the favored of God. You have the favor of God. Doesn't matter if you don't have what your neighbor's got, you got the favor of God. That boat and motorcycle and five vehicles don't mean they got the favor. When you got the favor of God, you walking in the light of God. Hallelujah. Amen. So we turn the page in Nehemiah chapter 2. And I'm just going to go through here. Let's just read this. It's beautiful. And this, this is the result of his prayer. But notice, his prayer was a result of hearing news about the way God's people and where they should be living and what it would look like. That's what caused him to weep and pray. 
If you're not seeing things the way you should be seeing things, your prayer won't be the way it should be. Our prayers should not always be about us. Amen. It should be for the people of God because they're our real family. Your blood family is also your real family, but it's not eternal unless they're in the blood family of Christ. And that is the most important family in all the universe is the family of God. And it came to pass in the ninth month, I'm sorry, the month of Nisan in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him, means he was sitting there drinking, and I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. You didn't come around the king that day sad because you didn't want any attention coming from him. Things were different back in that day, folks. You, you, you didn't go around the king acting all sad because he might have thought you sad because you serving him. But the king did, he was so downtrodden over the news he'd received about Jerusalem and the way it looked and the way it was that he, he was recognized by the king as sad. Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is your countenance sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. The king recognized, you ain't sick what you're sad about. And, I, and I'm pretty sure that he had some favor with the king and some little relationship there. But he was a Jewish person, so they weren't in the relationship the king had with the people of his own nation. But he, there was some favor there. So the king said, why are you counting sad seeing you're not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid and said unto the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies waste? And the gates thereof are consumed with fire. Then the king said unto me, for what do you make request? Watch what he did. First, he prayed. Let me tell you something, you cross-eyed saints of God. You are praying people. That's one fruit of coming back to Calvary. Because there is the intimate place of communion with God. It's the, really the only place of intimate worship with God. You can't worship Him unless you worship Him in spirit and in truth. So when He brings, you can cry out and you can say that. You've heard me say it over the last several weeks. You can love God and be in a mess. You can know God loves you and be in a mess. You got to know what God did about His love for you. Amen. And then you got to know what the Bible says when you receive that love, what it's going to look like. Jesus said obedience. Mm. All right. Then the king said unto me, we're in verse 4 of Nehemiah chapter 2. Then the king said unto me, for what do you make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. We do that all the time, don't we? Somebody walks up to me and says, I got a spiritual question I want to ask you to preach. Before they finish that sentence, I'm already in my heart saying, Lord, help me. Give me the wisdom I need right now. 
That's the way we've been trained by the Holy Spirit to cry out to God. Somebody said, look, they, they walk up with a Bible. It, it's the way we live. It better be. They walk up with the Bible. So I got a question for you. Before they get up there and say, here, I'm a, Lord, help me. Get, let me. Lord, help me. Show them. Help me. Oh, Lord, help us. That's the way we live because we can't do anything without Jesus. That don't mean without saying his name. That means without him functioning in whatever we're doing. Verse 5, and I said unto the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you would send me to Judah, unto the city of my father's graves, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also was sitting there with him, for how long shall the journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I sent, and I set him a time. Let me tell you something, folks. There's something about the favor of God being experienced when your faith is right and your prayers, your communion is with the Lord. See, one thing we see here is that Nehemiah wasn't just trusting the king. He was still praying to God. He didn't go just to the king to try it. He prayed first. I'm, ta I'm taking God. I'm before I go, it's you. This is really what Jesus taught. It's, it's, all you do is see Jesus' teachings all throughout the Old Testament because what he did when he came was fulfill in life form the very old covenant. You see, you've heard it said many times, Jesus is the new covenant, but the new covenant is the revealing of the old covenant. Amen. Amen. So Jesus taught this. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then God said, he'll add everything to you that you have need of. Doesn't Say go seek all that stuff and just, it says seek the kingdom of heaven or seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness before all things. And then God will, just like Nehemiah, add to you what needs to be added to your life. Amen. Verse 7, Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. Now he's, he's, the Lord has given him this wisdom to be able to ask this king for what he needs to ask for because he knows it's more than just the king saying, You can go. He knows there's going to be obstacles. And if your faith is right, meaning in the sacrifice of Christ, and you're praying, you're, you're in communion with the Lord. The Bible does say, does it not, uh, that we pray without ceasing? That means there's never a situation or a circumstance that we're not bringing the Lord into. Amen. Let's read it again. Moreover, I said unto the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors that are on the other side of the river that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And let and, and a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace, which appertain to the house, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall enter into. 
And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. God's got a mission for you. You know what the mission is for the church? And it'll only be experienced by those who recognize that the walls have been burnt by false doctrine. By, 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 by a church that won't endure sound doctrine. By a church that says we understand the cross's answer but we don't want to hear about it. That means there's another gate operating there. Another authority. But he says, the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. You know, you've, got a, you've been given a letter too. This world don't understand, but you do. This world don't understand that the king, our king, has sent us. Amen. And we got a letter. This is the letter. This is our authority. Amen. Then I came to the governors beyond the river, verse 9, and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. Even the king knew it's going to take more than you, Nehemiah. Watch verse 10, because here, here, here comes what we don't like about. Once we got the message of the cross is God's focus and our focus, and wow, isn't everybody going to get this and run with it? No, they ain't. Most are not. And most are going to fight against you once you start running with this great truth. Watch this, verse 10. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly, exceedingly grieved them that there were come a man to seek the welfare of of the children of Israel. You care about the church, you stand up and start preaching the cross, that very message that made the church, gave it its existence, and there are going to be those that are exceedingly grieved with you because they can't control you. You need to go home and read this again. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. And I arose in the night. I and some few men with me. See, God always going to give some help. I thank God for every one of you sitting in a chair this morning here. I thank God for every one of you on that camera this morning. God sends people to help with the building, the rebuilding of the walls that have been torn down, the gates that have been burnt, to see them shine like his righteousness again. The words of old are for your experience in the new. 
The stories of old are of your family that I've given you, I've preserved for you, that your feet may be found walking in the realities in the great revelation of Christ of the new and not the old. Learn of the old stories. For my old path was always there. Walk in that old path. Rebuild the walls as Elijah on Mount Carmel rebuilt the altar. Rebuild the walls. Preach the message of the cross. Restore the gates of praise, the sacrifice of praise. Let them be upon your lips. Be not afraid of men that arise to hinder what I'm doing among my people. Trust me. Call unto me. I've given you my favor and will give it again in the days ahead. I'm the builder of my church, and I've called you to build with me. Be still and see the salvation of your God, for it surrounds you every day. Build the walls, restore the gates, and you will find me in the midst of my people in these last days. We thank you, Lord. Verse 12, And I rose in the night, and I and a few other men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. See, he didn't go around telling everybody what he was going to do. He was seeking the Lord and seeking the Lord for his plan. Neither was there any beast with me save the beast that I rode upon. And we'll stop right there. I at least wanted to make it to verse 10. And you'll see these men who rose up being exceedingly grieved because of what the man of God was doing that was of God to be doing. There's always going to be those who are exceedingly grieved. With what God is doing. And it will always be the religious spirit of men. Our mission is a local church here. The same as all these local churches that God has raised up who He is teaching to be determined to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified is the rebuilding of what many years of religion has torn down. It's restoring God's authority through the preaching of the gospel to the church once again. That's what these churches are all about. That's why there's much denial. That's why there's much hindrance. Because only those who are walking with God will have the heart that's broken over the state of their own body. If you get a gash on your arm, 
you're not only going to be grieved over it, sad about it, and pained over it, you're going to go get somebody to help you with it. And when you realize that the cross is God's only focus and His only answer for everything you'll ever need, and you see how few are trusting Him, and how few times compared to the times we could be trusting Him, your heart's going to be broken over it. And you're going to ask the Lord to help you and to use you in these last, you are here for more than just to work a job, to have a family. You, you're here for such a time as this to be a part of the greatest move of God there's ever been. The move of God does not get less. It gets greater. And He's called you, He's put you here right now to be a part of that. With all that you are, be a part of that. Give yourself to Christ moment by moment. Don't be satisfied with, well, I'm going to heaven. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Learn to abide satisfied in Christ Jesus. Amen? Would you stand with me this morning?